You're listening to The Hunt with your hosts, Matt Woodward and Dan Adler. Well, welcome, and you are listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan podcast, coming to you from the epicenter of Western Big Game Hunting. And folks, you are in for a treat today, uh, or the longest day of your life, depending on your thoughts here. Uh, Matt and I were just joking that today we're going to be talking about the cows or coos whitetail deer. Man, for a couple coos nuts like us, this could easily be a a 10-hour podcast, but we're going to keep it to our regular hour or less. And holy cow, Matt Woodward, talking about the cows deer, this is a a major, major part of our business, but more importantly, a major part of our spirit and our life and, and our livelihood. And the coos whitetail or cows whitetail, really nothing like it. Old Lieutenant Elliot Cows, uh, maybe one of the uh, uh, folks that our wives maybe wish never graced the earth. I don't know, but these deer just kind of stick in our heart, Matt. And Tell me a little bit about uh, your first recollection of the coos whitetail deer or cows deer and what they mean to you. And you're really smart on the history of them. And folks, if you've not hunted the coos deer, and let me just tell you this up front, okay? My number one source of repeat clients for coos deer, which is a subspecies of the whitetail, okay, is from guys in the south and midwest who could shoot whitetail deer off their patio. And the first time they meet me, they're like, I don't want to hunt your coos deer. I could shoot deer off my patio. And then I say, do it once. And so, folks, if you are... A whitetail hunter from anywhere in the world where you can shoot deer off your patio, that is not a reason to uh, not consider the coos whitetail something you want to hunt. Matt, take it away, brother. I know this is your baby. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, Elliot Cows would be rolling over in his grave if he heard how we like to say his name down here in the southwest. Uh, the deer is a little subspecies of whitetail that's named after Dr. Elliot Cows, a, uh, and actually an army surgeon stationed here in the southwest for a while. But uh, here in Arizona, we seem to call them coos deer, uh, C-O-U-E-S. It's actually a French word. And uh, coos deer is kind of just the, the name, the local name that we've uh, kind of uh, adopted. Uh, we jokingly like to say that the, the word cows is reserved for biologists and grad students. These little whitetails are about half to a third the size of a whitetail that most of our hunters are going to be familiar with. Uh, these are a uh, 90 to 110 pound uh, mature buck, uh, more like 70 or 80 pounds for a doe, and live in absolutely wild country. Uh, as opposed to most places that mule deer and whitetail coexist, here in the southwest, ours have completely opposite kind of habitats. Our mule deer tend to inhabit lower country and river bottoms and, and low flats and, and agriculture, whereas our coos whitetail are a mountain animal. So these are a little mountain whitetail. Uh, they tend to inhabit uh, the sky islands of southern Arizona and the Mugion Rim of central Arizona, all the way down into Sonora and Chihuahua. Here at what we like to consider the epicenter of western big game hunting is really on the northern, I'd say the northern boundary of the little coos whitetail's habitat. So... Um, but we've got them all around us here. We've got coos deer within a, within a half mile of us right, right here in town, actually. And uh, all the way down, like I said, way down into Mexico. But a really unique deer and something that our whitetail hunters certainly need to uh, pay a little bit of attention to, for sure. If you're into whitetails, uh, this is kind of like the ultimate whitetail hunt, in my opinion. I've heard of a lot of guys referred to the coos deer as uh, a poor man's sheep hunt. They talk about hunting uh, whitetails back home from tree stands or ground blinds, which we can certainly do that for coos deer under certain applications. But uh, how do you think it got that nickname and, and kind of tell our listeners why it differentiates so much from your standard whitetail type hunt? Ty talk about the setup and talk about sure. kind of the habitat. Yeah, absolutely. That comment, the poor man's sheep hunt, that's been, it's been around for many, many years. That might have been a Jack O'Connor thing, if I'm not absolutely. mistaken. I think that was an O'Connor quote. Yep. Um, 
basically it really relates to the habitat, the, the, the terrain that these coos deer live in. And so um, although we'll, we'll, we will circle back around to this because not all coos deer live in these big rugged places. It isn't always sheep country and there's lots of coos deer hunting to do in places that don't resemble sheep habitat at all. Um, but in general, coos deer like to inhabit pretty rough, steep terrain, uh, often requiring long physical hikes, and lots of physical exertion to even access the, coos deer, the, the country that the coos deer live in. So in my lifetime, say in the last uh, 10 or 15 years, uh, we seem to have seen a massive uh, increase in coos deer populations and, and steady growth and also uh, encroachment into new habitats. And so uh, I feel like we're hunting coos deer in a lot lower elevations and flatter terrain than we were 20 or 30 years ago. There certainly was coos deer in those, in those same places years ago. Uh, there seems to be more today. Same thing with northern Arizona and the northern boundary of the coos deer habitat and, and even the eastern boundary of the coos deer habitat, which is actually down in southwestern New Mexico. Uh, they are expanding. They're moving east. They're moving north. We've got coos deer up in the pines. Uh, we mentioned that we typically hunting them in extremely rough situations and, and more of sheep situations where you're you're hiked in deep, you're glassing, spotting, and stalking. But there's a lot of hunting to do as well, uh, from tree stands and ground blinds and up in the pines at higher elevations. And so, as a super diverse animal, from wh whether you, like I said, whether you're a bow hunter who wants to hunt on the ground out of a ground blind or spot and stalk, or just a devoted tree stand hunter you can absolutely hunt coos deer and be extremely successful at it. Um, but coos deer kind of have a reputation for being a, a, a rugged terrain, a spot and stock type animal uh, that has a, a probably a, a maybe a possibly unwarranted reputation for being an animal that is often shot at long range. We do shoot a lot, lot of long range deer out pa well beyond 400 some yards. But again, depending on the habitat that we hunt them in, that's actually not necessary all the time either. One of the things that uh, you mentioned that I think bears repeating, you talked about the size of the coos deer or the cows deer, and you'll hear us refer to them a lot as, as coos. We all know it's actually cows, but we'll call it coos here. And uh, we talked about the size comparison to that of the southern Arizona with the Sonoran Desert mule deer or in central Arizona with the Rocky Mountain mule deer. I've seen a lot of, and I know you have too, Matt, I know you've seen a lot of battles to near death with whitetail on whitetail seen a lot of battle royales with mule deer on mule deer. I personally have not seen a, a mule deer whitetail fight yet, but uh, despite the, the, the mule deer being almost double, in some cases triple the body weight pound for pound than a coos deer, why do you find that uh, in areas where the coos deer is trying to take over the mule deer's area, it, it seems to be winning a lot of those battles. It seems to be able to thrive. You mentioned Sky Islands, which is where they're notoriously, their home range is notoriously known for being that Sky Island chain yet in some of these lower flats and some of these other areas that are quote-unquote traditional mule deer habitat, we're experiencing the coos whitetail, despite its smaller size, being the aggressor and kind of taking over some of that traditional mule deer habitat. What are you seeing out there in the field that uh, might be of interest to, to our listeners? Absolutely. They're little monsters. I mean, they're, they're, they're brutal. Uh, whitetails just in general uh, tend to be a little bit more aggressive in the rut than, than mule deer as far as uh, whether it be tending does or fighting off other bucks. I think whitetails have got a reputation for being a little bit more aggressive. And these coos deer, I think, are the extreme example of that. Um, they will run mule deer bucks off and chase mule deer does and breed mule deer does. Uh, we do have the occasional hybrid that, that does that does pop up here in the southwest. 
although uh, we can circle around and talk about hybrids later there's all sorts of issues with those guys and there's a few reasons that they tend to not make it to uh, maturity and such but very unique animal that's that's hunted unlike uh, unlike any other animals uh, that uh, that you're going to hunt or any other types of hunts that you're going to go on yeah they carry that aggressive streak of their eastern cousins to to the nth degree and what i find so amazing and and Granted, I'm biased. This is one of the top two or three animals in the world for me to hunt year after year that I enjoy the most and that my clients enjoy the most. And Diamond Outfitters of Arizona is the largest coos deer outfitter on the planet. So if you're thinking of doing a hunt like this, definitely give Diamond Outfitters a call. But the way they do take over that habitat, and as I said, I've not seen them have to fight, but I've watched them run off plenty of desert mule deer, desert, soaring to desert mule deer, plenty of northern Arizona or central Arizona Rocky Mountain mule deer. That whitetail uh, genetics, that whitetail anxiety and anger that they carry is enough to uh, to push these larger bodied mule deer out of their habitat. You know, the coos deer has no fear when it comes to that. And you know, Matt, what I find the most ironic about that, and again, I've already disclosed I'm biased. I'm not going to spend this episode every five minutes saying I'm biased. So I've, I've got that disclosure out of the way. But I will say of the North American 29 big game animals, if we're talking about the North American slam, as it's often referred to, uh, I find that if I were to have all 29 of the North American slam animals life-size mounted in a room, I find that the coos whitetail over and over again stands out as the prettiest of the North American 29. It's venison I find to be the sweetest of all tasting venison in the world. And I just find it to be ironic that it's the sweetest venison, that it's the most stunning mount. It looks like this little dainty creature if you ever have seen my coos hunting seminars at any of the national conventions around the country, or if you haven't, try to get to one of my coos whitetail, that's called uh, Hunting the Coos Deer, the Great Ghost of the Desert seminars at any of the national conventions. One of the things I love telling people, uh, Matt, is that you know most of my guides definitely believe in a higher power, definitely believe in, in, a, in a spirit or a God, if you will. And I say there's one thing that... Uh, we found wrong in the first verses of the Bible where it says on the, on the, it took six days for God to make the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. A lot of my team members and I, we joke that on the seventh day he created the coos deer, and it took the whole day to do it. Because when you consider, again, its daintiness and, and appearance, its small stature, pound for pound, it, it's the Mike Tyson of the deer world. And uh, it, it certainly garners our respect. It certainly... Uh, also garners our desire to, to keep hunting them. And boy, Matt, there really isn't any such thing as a one-time coos deer hunter. You know, we find uh, a lot of guys saying, hey, I'm doing a bucket list hunt here. I've got to get the coos deer uh, checked off, and then I can move on to other species. How does that typically work out? What do you usually see for clients that's in that? That's how it always starts, and that's kind of how I built my business and the basis of this business. If we can convince someone to come hunt coos deer one time and give it a shot, we typically turn them into a coos deer hunter. They get absolutely hooked. And so a lot of folks, understandably, are a little apprehensive to go on their first coos deer hunt. Uh, they're looking at this animal that's like half to a third the size of the deer that they're used to hunting. Uh, a trophy set of coos deer antlers uh, would not even register in, in most, uh, most whitetail hunters' interest. Um, so they're certainly just a, a lot different. But once we get people on that hunt and they see how unique it is, and then it's certainly unlike any other hunt that I'm familiar with in North America, uh, they typically become hooked. 
Uh, guys get out into the southwest here and hunt coos deer one time, and next thing you know, uh, they're shopping for optics and tripods, and they're building rifles, and they're kind of gearing their hunting towards this kind of specific style of hunting. And uh, we've certainly been able to change hundreds of minds uh, over the last couple decades by exposing people to these little interesting deer. Is Coos Whitetail Matt the crack cocaine of the Abs- deer hunting absolutely, world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's crazy. It gets people absolutely addicted from never having any interest in it to going one time and then, and then attempting to plan two or three hunts a year with us. They're saying, can I go to Mexico? Uh, what are my Arizona options, New Mexico options? And figuring out how many coos deer hunts they can go in a year. So I've got a handful of guys that, that do exactly that with us each year. And yeah, there's, there's just nothing else like the little, little coos whitetail. I often tell people that I was a hunter for a long time. And then I became a coos deer hunter and I became successful at hunting. And what Matt's talking about as far as somebody coming out you know, you have that, I'm going to call it the oh shit moment, for lack of a better term. The first time, and it's one of my favorite things to do with a first time coos deer hunter is to get a coos deer hunter behind a 10 by 42 Huskamar or a 1556 Warski on a tripod, have them look in there in the glass at a coos deer buck, have them stare and stare and then go, hey Dan, can you reset the optics for me? The deer stepped out while, while I was getting into the glass and you were getting out of the glass, the buck stepped out of the glass. I want to see my first coos deer bucks. Can you, can you find him again and put him in the glass? And I'll say, yeah, sure. So I'll look in the glass and you know what I'm about he's, to say. He's dead center. He's, he's right dead center. He's right where I left him in the, in the glass. And I'll tell the guy, Hey, he's, he, he's right there. Just take your time, relax your eyes. And then to a man or a woman, they just, they finally go, Oh my God, you know, he's right there. He's right. Yeah. Is, is that what, is that what we're up against? Is that what we're really doing here? And that's, that's where that addiction kind of starts is that first time you see them and then you're right. So they leave camp, right? And they want your equipment list of optics. Yep. They want to know your tripod. And this isn't uh, a something that they're going to be casual about. And this is true, ladies and gentlemen, of guys that hunt whitetail at home, the Midwest, the South, Texas. It doesn't matter. That is almost the different species and a different hunt. And this mountain style, sheep style deer hunt uh, does kind of take over a large part of their hunting budget and hunting time and hunting schedule and our hunts that for years, almost two decades, Matt and I uh, have had clients come back year after year, including this coming year where we see a lot of guys coming back to hunt these little gray ghosts. It really gets, they, these deer kind of get under your skin. Yeah, well, coos are gonna change the way that you hunt, and they're gonna change the way that you view and approach other hunts that you're gonna go on after you've been on a coos deer hunt. Uh, I think coos deer hunting opens people's eyes to uh, a style of hunting, a type of hunting, and situations that they never would have imagined. Uh, and I can cite, Great examples of this uh, from coast to coast with personal clients and, and personal friends of mine, uh, folks from, from Oregon and California and, and Idaho that came on a coos deer hunt and then they, they, they saw how we did it. And we sat behind uh, tripod mounted optics and, and picked the terrain apart. They realized that we're, we were finding deer at extreme distances at distances that they were not familiar with. And uh, uh, to a T, I've got guys from Kansas and Maryland, Pennsylvania, uh, and all up and down the West Coast that have taken our coos deer techniques back home with them. And it's absolutely just changed the, the way they hunt, changed the way that they view and hunt property that they may have been on for years uh, and be super familiar with and be very successful on after one coos deer hunt. It literally opens your eyes to all sorts of different possibilities, different strategies. 
and it does that to me every time I'm out in the field, every time I'm out chasing coos deer. So I think they're about the most educational animal that you can hunt as well. Yeah, they're really great for that. I, I've told people, and, and we've been real fortunate with our TV show, The Best of the West, to, to hunt on almost every continent. And still, aside from maybe the African clip springer, which is about a 15-pound animal, there really isn't a more difficult animal to glass. And yet we still carry over 90% harvest rate on our guided hunts at Diamond Outfitters and Zero Outfitter fees. But I think the key to understanding all of this is to be a successful coos hunter, I've often had a lot of my clients tell me that, you know, we are actually professional glassers cleverly disguised in the guiding business. Sure. And I love that quote. We are, we are the team at Diamond Outfitters is, and Zero Outfitter fees is nothing more than a team of professional glassers cleverly disguised in the guiding business. I love that quote because to Matt's point, these guys come from all over the world and they've, in some cases they've hunted 30, 40, 50 years, but they're taking all these techniques from a five or seven day trip with us home and they're magically better hunters. And it's because these deer make you work for it. You know, Matt, there's not a lot of places, you know, we're here in the epicenter of Western big game hunting, obviously in central Arizona. There's not a lot of places I go in Arizona where if you were my client and I was guiding you for mule deer or I was guiding you for elk, or I was guiding you for antelope or desert bighorn sheep, I could probably go down the list where, you know, we'd walk or drive to a vantage point. I'd probably spend two or three hours there. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't see the elk or the mule deer buck or, or the antelope we were after, you know, we're going to grab a cold drink, head back to the side-by-side or the truck and drive or walk to the next high point. But that's what will drive you a little bit nuts about hunting with me for coos deer because that's not the case. If I take us to a high point, we may sit there instead of two or three hours. I may want to be there seven or eight hours in one shot. And the average hunter is going to start wanting to take naps and, and take breaks from glassing, which I encourage you to do. But I'm going to stay behind that glass because here's my mindset. My mindset is the buck's here. I just haven't found them yet. And anybody that's uh, hunted coos deer before is shaking their heads right now. I've glassed that same tree every four minutes for the last four hours. But here, magically, at the four and a half hour mark under that same tree, I pick up a little bit of movement. It could be as subtle a movement as chewing their cud, mm -hmm. uh, a tail flicker, an antler glistening on the sunlight that I previously thought was mm -hmm. a stick, and boom, magically there he is. So it kind of changes your mindset about the way you glass. I think it forces you to stop scanning mm -hmm. and start glassing. And start really looking. Start, start digging into that next level. Whether you're in a, in a clear cut in the Pacific Northwest or in a woodlot in the Midwest, it teaches you to kind of take it to the next level and stop and start picking things apart. Uh, you just made a really good example. I can't think of how many deer, it's literally hundreds of deer that I've spotted over the years because of them chewing their cud, like you said, or the blink of an eye, the flick of an ear, uh, really, really minor stuff. Uh, I watched a deer, uh, there was a little stick coming out of a patch of brush a few years ago, and I happened to be kind of staring at it, looked at it a few different times, and that little stick um, pulled itself back into the bush. It was that deer's hoof. He was laying down. He had his leg six inches of the end of his, uh, his front left leg sticking out uh, with a little bit of sun shining on it. And I happened to be staring at him intently as he drew that leg back up under his body. And it got him killed. And so uh, taking those experiences um, into whatever situation that you typically hunt in, uh, can make just dramatic differences in, in your success rate and how you hunt. That's, that's why I think they're about one of the most educational animals that you can hunt. Um, it'll improve your hunting all around. You bring up a, a really good uh, opportunity for our, our listeners to pick something up here too, and that is 
if you want to become a great glasser, then start on coos deer hunting for sure. That will, that will make you better. But here's the secret, okay? I'm going to let you know the secret right now. So press record on your record button. Stop looking for deer when you're glassing for coos deer. Stop looking for deer when you're glassing for coos deer. If you're looking for elk, you're looking for an elk. If you're looking for a mule deer, you're looking for a mule deer. If you're looking for a desert or rocky bighorn sheep, you're looking for a desert or rocky bighorn sheep. If you're looking for a coos deer, stop looking for a deer. Start, stop scanning, start glassing. You're actually picking apart country one branch at a time, one rock at a time, such that on your third or fourth pass, something's just a little out of place. You're going to be looking for a piece of a deer. Yep. You're going to be analyzing and picking this country apart, and you're not going to see a deer. You're going to see the white band around a deer's nose, or you're going to see the, the pointed ear of a deer, the irregular, unnatural shaped little triangle point sticking out of the top of some oak brush or, or, or a little patch of white belly buried deep under some brush. So yeah, you're looking for just a piece of that deer. Does it kind of bring back any memories for you or, or garner up any stories of, of guys that you've had out on the mountain where you're looking and you're looking and, and the first time they glass one before you or the first time they glass one of their own, you know, I, I can think of uh, several different hunters where same thing. They, they didn't pick up the deer, but they picked out something and they, and they trusted themselves to continue to look at whatever it was, something that just didn't look right. Wasn't there a second ago. Uh, brings back a lot of memories to me. You know, I've had guys glass up elk before I did. They weren't hooping and hollering guys wow. picked up a mule deer. And, and that's why I tell my clients, bring good equipment. You're going to be just as part of the hunt as I am. I'm not just there to find you the deer and you go kill it. You know, you're going to have fun. This is a total outdoor experience. This is a total adventure. But man, I, I get a kick out of them saying, hey, I got one. And then it was like, I saw it before you did, yeah, right? To, see, to hear someone or see, to watch someone spot their first coos deer, you're going to struggle. When you get in the field and you start hunting coos deer, and, and maybe you're hunting with someone who's, who's got a lot of experience, that person's going to be picking out deer and pointing you and, and leading you up to deer, showing you where to, where to spot these deer. But you're not going to see them at first. You're just simply not going to see them, even though they're right center frame in your binoculars. And, uh, and so to watch people start to evolve over just a day or so, your eyes start to pick up what it is you're looking for. Uh, they start to recognize the deer that we're showing them uh, at great distances. Of course, deer on the side of the road, are, everyone's going to see these. But we're talking about deer at mile, mile and a half away. We start to pick these deer up. And then they start to make their own spots of those long, those long distance spots and the eyes light up and they realize that they've got this figured out and that they can do it and they can pull these deer out of the woodwork, out of just rugged terrain, uh, maybe a half mile or mile or mile and a half away from you. Um, and so it's, it's pretty fun to watch for sure. The client experience on these coos deer hunts is a lot of time what brings them back year after year and the harvest is, is just the cherry on the Sunday, but the experience is so unique. And I just want to throw something out there too for the general listening public, you know, you, you hear us talking about the glassing them up at large distances. You've watched our Best of the West TV program. We've aired several episodes of Coos Deer Hunt at Yardage. Keep in mind, the team at Diamond Outfitters not only does rifle hunts, but we also do muzzleloader hunts. We also do archery hunts. Uh, so it can be done. It's our job to get you as close as you need, but you will often hear continuous stories, including today, about Coos Deer at Yardage and how fun it is to glass them up at Yardage. And because of the optics that are out there today, uh, the opportunity for a patient glasser to to really pick up animals really far away. Funny side note to that is the downside to these great high quality Huskamas Sawarski type optics is, man, Matt, I don't know about you, but when I get to a mountain, I just want to think that I don't need to look at this first ridge at 100 yards. I don't need to look at that next ridge at 300 yards because 
Now I have this technology to glass at a mile. And certainly with the naked eye, if there was a deer on these first two ridges, I would have picked it up by now. But that is not at all the case. How do I talk myself off of that? Yeah, that'd be your first reaction. Is you're going to scan the close stuff. Maybe even you give it a scan with a pair of handheld binoculars. And you go, there's nothing here. There's nothing inside of 500 yards. Let's pick apart this big mountain. And it's something that you've just got to kind of talk yourself off the ledge and start to pick that country apart. And once you start to glass at, at shooting ranges, once you start to pick apart country, um, now there is going to be some open country that you're going to look at and realize that there's probably not a whole lot of deer in it. But a lot of this country is relatively heavily vegetated, and you're going to start to pick that country apart. And it, it won't be until you start to spot deer at three or 400 yards that you have been sitting above for hours and didn't realize you had deer right there out feeding that you just didn't notice that your, your mind will start to kind of turn over. You should realize how important it is to, uh, to kind of scan everything and, and pick apart everything and, and really focus on. And I like to start close. I like to start, of course, the most obvious places to, uh, that you're going to see deer. Uh, with some experience, you can usually pull up on one of those spots or they hike up to the top of a little peak pinnacle with a quick scan with some experience you can usually figure out where you think you're going to see deer kind of your high profile areas where deer are likely to be um you know start at the close ones and, and start to check those spots but it's a uh, it's a mental game you've got to convince yourself that there's probably deer a lot closer than you realize and they're right in front of you and you just can't see them you haven't spotted them yet and so uh, your initial reaction is to look to the top of the mountain and up on the skyline uh, when you're looking right over the head of, in some cases, dozens of deer. A uh, good mindset would be never walk by six shooter bucks to go find a shooter buck. And uh, definitely want to pick apart that country tree by tree, limb by limb, and leaf by leaf. And you will surprise yourself. And then you'll go home to your home state or province or country and find that you're a much better hunter. You're a much better glasser. You're a much more patient hunter. And your success on your own hunts is going to go up dramatically. Coos deer, in my mind, is one of the hunts that carry the highest amount of guides for their first couple introductory hunts, whereas some folks might go over the counter to Colorado on their own for elk. Coos deer tend to warrant that guide. And fortunately, coos deer hunting affordability index is super, super high. And we'll talk about uh, some of the Diamond Outfitters of Arizona and, and zero outfitter fee price structures for, for coos deer hunts at the end. But, you know, we've kind of talked, Matt, a little bit about how difficult they can be, and, and uh, we don't want to scare anybody away from hunting, and we've talked about how fun they are. I think one of the things, or, or a few of the things to talk about at this point is some of their vulnerabilities. So I, I'm going to ask you about that in a minute too. But, you know, one of the things I think of with, with the Coos Whitetail when it comes to their vulnerability or weak spot, uh, where we can, where we as the hunters have advantages, is uh, they are a whitetail. And as a whitetail species, if it's not the rut, they're going to want to stay in a relatively smaller core area. And how that typically plays out on the earlier season hunts. And, and just to give you an idea, uh, speaking first for Arizona, we have archery hunts in August and September. We have rifle hunts in November, uh, October, November, December. Uh, we have muzzleloader hunts in October, November, December. Uh, our archery hunts uh, pick back up again in December and January. And then in Mexico, we have the entire month of January to, to hunt these deer during the peak of the rut. But one of their vulnerabilities to me, Matt, is because they are a whitetail, because they do want to stay kind of closer to that home range, especially on some of those earlier hunts where it's warmer. If you can pick up a mature four or five year old shooter buck in the dark or at first light, the clients uh, tend to want to make a stock on that buck right away, even if it's a mile, mile and a half away. And, and my strategy, and I'm sure a big part of your strategy has been, hey, we're just going to continue to watch that buck. 
we know that if he holds true to coos whitetail form, he's going to feed for about an hour, hour and a half, and then he's going to want to bed down for a while. And he's not going to want to travel if he's not pushed for a, for a while. And when he makes that bed, traditionally speaking, we'll have anywhere from an hour to two and a half hours. And we can use that hour to two and a half hours to get into spot, what I call a Huskamaw advantage, get into a position where we've got everything to our favor so that when that buck stands back up at around 11, 12, 1 o'clock, we're in position for a shot. And how that typically plays out in the Southwest, whether it's Arizona, New Mexico, or Sonora, Mexico, is, you know, we're talking about the high desert. So we're not talking for the most part about a lot of big trees, a lot of big canopy, a lot of big cover. So as a result, the coos deer are trying to bed in oak thickets or, or some mesquite or in the shadow of, of some choya, things like that. And as that midday sun kind of rises over their backs, they really don't like that warmer temperature, that warmer heat being on them. And they're going to get up and they're going to make a, a three or four minute move. And they might feed a little bit. They might nibble on this. They might chew their cud. They might just stretch their legs, go to the bathroom, and they're going to get set up to rebed. You and your clients have killed hundreds of deer. Diamond Outfitters clients, they've killed hundreds of deer. I would say a good 60% of our deer are taken in that, what a lot of people would consider that midday lull between 11 and 1 when they're back at camp. We've got ourselves into a position where we waited them out. We had plenty of time to judge them. We put them to bed. Then and only then we made our move. And ideally, we left a spotter Mm -hmm. uh, up on top to, to make sure the deer didn't move. But then we get ourselves set up for that 11 12, one o'clock in the afternoon type setup because they're fairly predictable that when that sun hits their back, uh, they're going to want to make some kind of move or the wind changes direction. They're going to want to make some kind of move. And that's one of their vulnerabilities. What's another vulnerability you've seen in the coos whitetail that a hunter can take advantage of? Well, that bed shift, that midday bed shift is a critical time for sure. Uh, We'll circle back to the home range, the small home range of of these little deer. Um, That's in the early season. This doesn't really apply for, say, the latter part of December and January. Uh, But for the early hunts, specifically the archery hunts and the first rifle hunts of the year, uh, cooster can be extremely uh, predictable. Uh, Like a lot of whitetails in that early season, they follow very... uh, uh, very habitual patterns. They're, they're, uh, they don't, and they don't travel a lot. So I made it a habit for many, many years to uh, kill a good quality buck with my client on opening morning of the October season every single year for something like 10 years in a row. Uh, we'd be scouting these bucks prior. All we'd have to do is locate a buck. And if we had a buck located prior to the season, uh, we knew that we could refine them and refine them in a relatively small area and so a lot of these bucks were shot under the same tree that they had been found under weeks earlier uh some of them were 20 or 50 or 200 yards away but amazingly close and when i say close within a few hundred yards not a half mile not over in the next drainage uh, but sometimes standing right between the same two trees that you originally spotted them so that's i think the uh the the coos deer's biggest downfall for the early seasons is his uh homebody aspect and, and them not covering much ground you know another really big downfall of the coos deer is applies to those late season hunts december and january uh, they take on traditional whitetail habits um, like rub and scrape lines uh, in december as they're leading up to the rut and of course just like most rutting whitetails during the rut through the peak of the breeding season they're covering vast amounts of ground and they're often doing that during daylight hours so as opposed to october and november and how we were hunting them earlier 
Now we've got coos deer on their feet all day long and they're moving. And so it can sometimes make them more difficult to kill. And you'll get a, you'll get a glimpse of a buck who's, who's cruising. He's covering ground. He's working his way across the face of a mountain range at a mile and a half. And he's headed over the distant skyline and so on. And so that can be a little bit of a drawback. But then again, that time of year, you're going to see a lot more deer. We're going to see a lot more mature bucks on their feet, um, and they're going to be covering more ground. They're going to leave those home ranges. So the buck that you had scouted and been on and been, had trail camera pictures of likely is going to be nowhere to be found come December and January. He, likely he might even be in a different zip code. He's somewhere completely different. Uh, but you've got other deer moving. He's on his feet. All these other deer are on their feet. They're covering lots of ground, looking for does. And uh, so it's a totally different type of hunt from August and September and the early bow seasons to October uh, to the late seasons are, are just three polar opposite hunts. Uh, for guys who are interested in coos deer, um, I definitely recommend over the course of your coos deer career experiencing a few of those options. If your coos deer experience consisted only of hunting bucks in the peak of the rut, um, you would have some fantastic coos deer experience. Uh, but it definitely would not be the whole picture. And you definitely, uh, the early season is a, just a much, much different scenario. They're hunted very different and uh, just lots of options as to how we hunt these deer. So again, whether you're in a tree stand or ground blind um, or spot and stock with deer that are moving or deer that have been scouted and are not moving, unique, unique animal for sure. A lot of the hunters I, I talk to and probably some of you do too, They've kind of picked a favorite and they'll book that every year. So the guys that like the August, September archery hunts or the October rifle hunts have a different mindset than the guys that like the, uh, the late archery hunts in Arizona or the late rifle hunts in Arizona or Sonora, Mexico. And so, you know, when I talk to, to new clients at Diamond Outfitters about this, the conversation usually at some point they'll ask me, well, Dan, what do you recommend? You know, what do you recommend? And my conversation is always... I separate myself from the answer and I answer how my client, what my clients have told me over the years and what my clients who come on the early hunts every year. And I'll say the early Arizona hunts are the archery, August, September hunts, as well as let's say the October or early November rifle hunts. They'll say, Hey, Dan, I want to hunt coos deer every year. And I'm always going to come in August, September, October. And here's why they're bachelored up. They haven't been hunted for 10 months. Nobody's been bothering them. I get first crack at the bucks in this new age class, this new antler class. I want to hunt that, that window every year. And you mentioned earlier, some of them will experiment a little bit outside that range, mm -hmm. but then I'll have those clients drop back in their pattern of, all right, Dan, I'm going to hunt every year with you. Just put me on the books for the archery hunt in August or the archery hunt in September or the rifle hunt in October. And then the polar opposite of those guys, I've got plenty of guys, as do you, that just say, hey, I want to do this late you know, December or January hunt every year. And yeah, I understand what the early guys are saying. Uh, they're not in velvet anymore. They're not in bachelor groups anymore. And they've been hunted. So I'm not getting first pick of the deer, but I'm getting that cooler weather. I'm getting uh, deer on their feet for longer periods of time. And I'm picking up some rut activity. And with that rut activity comes the opportunity for me as a hunter, maybe to be able to get away with more mistakes as a hunter. Sure. Whereas on the earlier season, they haven't been hunted 10 months. Their, their senses are keen. And then we get guys who absolutely want to harvest one in velvet. And then harvest one in hardhorn too. Uh, I was just doing making some quick uh, scribbles here while Matt was talking a minute ago. This may surprise a lot of you, but you know we think of Arizona as is a is a difficult to draw or difficult to hunt state. And man, Matt and I are working really really hard at the hunt with Matt and Dan podcast to break down those myths or break down those barriers. But just scribbling down a couple notes, just for coos deer, 
I've got six weeks a year uh, in December and January. I've got six weeks right there I can hunt coos deer. Solid. Six weeks. And in theory, if I'm hunting December and January, I could kill two bucks, one per calendar year. So I could hunt six weeks, the last two weeks of December, the whole month of January, six weeks of deer hunting. What happened to Arizona being a hard-to-hunt state, right? Uh, I've got three weeks in August and September over the counter. Again, they're in velvet, bachelored up, haven't been hunting 10 months. Their defenses are down, vulnerable to salt blocks, vulnerable to water. And then I've got a a one to even two-and-a-half-week rifle season so I can hunt the archery season and still hunt the rifle season if I haven't harvested with the bow. So, I mean, if I'm, if my public math is good, I've really got uh, over 10 weeks a year. Now, again, just to be clear, it's one buck per year, but from a hunting opportunity standpoint, if I hunt archery, whenever archery season's open and I draw a guaranteed rifle tag, Matt, am I wrong? Or just in Arizona alone, I could hunt 10, 10 weeks a year. 10 and then, weeks a year, absolutely. And then yeah. I've got an unlimited opportunity to mm-hmm. go hunt in Mexico, right? Yep, so, absolutely. Two, I mean, two, a little over two months in Mexico. Uh, we've got a lot of applies, guys applying in New Mexico as well. You've got great draw opportunities in New Mexico. So uh, there's the potential uh, to do uh, as many as three separate coos deer hunts a year. Uh, you can also hunt coos deer in Chihuahua. And so lots and lots of options. I think if you're a do-it-yourself hunter, the the list is do your homework, optics, optics, optics. And how you budget for your binoculars is very simple. You go figure out what your budget is. You check with your spouse that, that that's approved if that's your MO. And then whatever that agreed number is, let's say it's uh, 1500 bucks, you bump that up by one category without permission. So if your budget for optics is fifteen hundred bucks, you need to go get yourself an eighteen hundred to two thousand dollar optic. If your budget is uh, five hundred bucks, you need to go get yourself an eight hundred dollar optic. You can get away with a lot of lousy equipment on deer hunts, uh, coos deer hunts, but you can't get away without the good optics, the good scopes. That you got to have that Husqvarna scope. Got to, got to have that elevation and windage enabled turret that only Husqvarna affords. And you get those by calling Paul at Best of the West Arizona. 480-682-7763. You take the gun you have and have them do an accurizer package on it, or you just have them build you a fully customizable coos deer rifle, but you've got to have the equipment if you want to be a successful coos deer hunter. You can be a casual coos deer hunter. Nothing wrong with that. Get out there, have a good time. Maybe get a deer, maybe you don't. But truly to be successful at this over time, this is not a species you can go cheapo on equipment. You've got to have the optics. You've got to have the time. And quite frankly, I think from a mindset perspective, you've got to be one of those hunters. I call them experiential hunters, Matt. They're guys that don't have to judge their success or failure of a hunt solely based on a kill, Mm -hmm. but they can judge their hunt based on the experience. And what I tell a lot of hunters when they're coming out to hunt deer with us, uh, coos deer with us is, hey, bring a great pair of optics, bring that tripod or rent one of ours because, yeah, it's my job to find you a deer, but you're hunting the Southwest. So I could take you to a mountain, put us in a spot where we can see from 50 yards to three miles, and you could see, well, let's see how many we could just rattle off. You might see coos deer, you might see mule deer, elk, antelope, black bear, mountain lion, turkey, uh, javelina, badgers, foxes, cotamundis, coyotes. I mean, these are, if you're somebody that's an experiential hunter, meaning it's not just about the kill, but you love being out in good weather and celebrating freedom, as I like to call it, and looking at a wide variety of animals, some of which may be uh, available by, sure. to harvest on those mm-hmm. seasons. 
uh, coos deer hunt something you really want to look at. And the guys at Diamond Outfitters uh, really have their pulse uh, on coos deer. It's the largest coos deer outfitter in the world. Through our affiliation with Best of the West Arizona, uh, we have all the best optics, all the best gear, discounts on Sawarski, discounts on Huskamaw. Uh, just get out there and, and beat the pavement. Whether you're DIY, get out there and do it, or you're looking for an outfitter, these coos deer are the crack cocaine of the deer hunting world. Uh, and I say that again, having hunted on almost every continent, we still come back to coos deer. When I left the Air Force, the Air Force would have paid for me to move to whatever city or whatever state I wanted. And my wife and I undoubtedly said, no, we're going back to Arizona. Nothing beats Arizona for hunting. And, and these coos deer will be a part of, uh, of your hunting experiences for a long time. And they will be experiences you want to introduce your friends and family to. I could think of what I call the Lewis group that hunted with us in Mexico a couple years ago, a party of eight. They're coming back this year with a party of 10. If that doesn't tell you how addictive and how enjoyable these coos deer are to hunt, I don't know what will. Matt, you got anything you want to wrap up with? This is the Hunt with Matt and Dan podcast. We thank you for listening. Coos deer is life. Coos deer is the sweetest tasting venison, the prettiest of all shoulder mounts in North America. Definitely something you want to consider adding to your fall, whether it's this year or next year. Bottom line is you've got to join us on a coos deer hunt to experience all this and to, and to really come to the realization about how special and unique these deer are. And uh, we hope to see you in the field out here. Hope to see you on a coos deer hunt and let us know if we can help. And when you mentioned that uh, you heard about coos deer hunting with Diamond Outfitters through this podcast, we're going to throw a mountain lion trophy fee in on your Arizona deer hunt at no additional cost. Give Matt or Dan a call. Check out our website, diamondoutfitters.com. Thanks for listening to the Hunt with Matt and Dan podcast. Tell a friend, and we'll listen to you next time. Thanks again, folks. The Hunt with Matt and Dan is brought to you by the premier half-day fishing boat out of San Diego at H&M Landing, zero outfitter fees, and Huskama Optics.